sleep, my brother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You lose half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. I'm Brian. Hey, and it's Murdoch. Uh, we want to, we want the show to be interactive. So, because <laughs> dear God, don't leave us to our own devices. Get your notes and questions in. We are the Story Guys at gmail.com. We, of course, what are we here to talk about, Murdoch? We're here to talk about the rumor and innuendo, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that is the rock and roll bedtime stories that you know and love and send us listener mail. It's been a while since we've turned to true crime, but whenever we do a true crime episode, always popular because that's why podcasting was invented, to tell murder stories. At 55, we did ACDC versus the Night Stalker. I liked that one. Uh, We talked about people getting killed at karaoke bars singing Frank Sinatra in episode 57. Thir- 35, one of my all-time favorites, Iron Butterfly versus Science. Totally amazing story. Yeah, crazy story. Episode 21, Blondie versus Ted Bundy. Totally never heard of that before, and strange. Uh, some bonus episodes, we did the Rare Essence Murders, that uh, band in D.C. that had a bunch of members get killed, which was crazy. You did the Jimi Hendrix kidnapping as a bonus episode, which is yeah. sort of true crime. Which is great that he got kidnapped and didn't know he was kidnapped. He had no idea. He was high as, yes. Okay. So uh, you can definitely go back and grab those. But today we tackle this one. Are you ready for this question? Um, I am. Is it true that the Go-Go's were taken hostage in a home invasion? Hmm. You ever heard this rumor? Hmm. I I know you have a soft spot for the Go-Go's. I have a soft spot for Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> I was about to say, I know which one's your favorite, too. I don't have to ask. She didn't flinch when I asked her to sign the Playboy. And I was like, you know, this feels dirty now. And that was like 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, so you you met her, interviewed her when you were on radio? Is that the story? I didn't get to interview her, but I, I was there when she came in and she was doing a solo tour. And I just went and asked my boss, I'm like, can I just bring this Playboy in with a kid to sign this? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, it was in 2022. I don't think that would fly in 2022. I don't, I don't think you'd be able to do that. And I, and I understand. That all aside, I did know that you love Bolin to Carlisle. I wanted to mention, before we even get into this, the Go-Go's now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like Public Enemy. Um, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it just it just happened back in October. They're officially Stupid. there. Stupid. Uh, it's ridiculous. So, like a lot of things, put the way it is in this question, that question is only partly true. And by that, I mean it was just one of the Go-Go's. And when this happened, she had recently find out, found out that the Go-Go's didn't exist anymore. The band was breaking up. So, it was not a good few weeks in her life. But let's talk about how this story finally went public, because that part is fairly recent and really interesting. So, your girl Belinda Carlisle dropped a memoir. Do you do you know what her memoir is called? Um, gosh, just just think she, about it. You just make a wild guess and you'll get. We've it. got the beat. Um, Close. The book comes out in ten, and it is called Lips Unsealed. Oh, I see. And it inspires one of the other girls to get her stories out. But apparently, she didn't have a book yet. She didn't have a book deal. So Kathy Valentine took to Twitter, and. We're going to come back to this, okay? But let's talk about Kathy Valentine. What do you know about her? I know the most about Belinda, so I don't know much. So why don't you tell me I- and interesting. listeners about it? Interesting career, Kathy. So she is, uh, unlike the other girls, she's from Austin, Texas. And big inspiration for her was Susie Quattro. Mm-hmm. 
says she didn't even know a girl could do that until she saw Susie Quattro on top of the pops. And if if you're not familiar with Susie Quattro, she did stuff later that if you hear it now, you're like, this? This inspired people? But here's what I'd encourage you to do. And I don't know when the last time you did this, Murdoch, was, but you should. Go back and look at the album covers for the first three records. 73, 74, 75, back in the day when they put out albums like Rapid Fire. She is front and center on these album covers in a way that is less sex than pure rock. And you can see how this could inspire the next generation. In two of the three covers, she's playing guitar, which is not something you saw typically, right? And in the first one, she is with three long-haired dudes who are behind her, and she's in the middle wearing high-waisted, very modest jeans and a leather jacket, and she's looking straight at the camera. And it, it still stands up. I mean, it's a striking album cover. And it understand, understandably makes an impact and clearly meant something to Kathy Valentine. Yeah, have you seen the documentary about Susie Quattro? No. That, I, I that, like honestly don't know much about Susie Quattro other than when I dove in here. Tell me what you know. Well, I didn't either until I saw the, the documentary. And um, it's never free. Um, so I paid for it and then I had to watch it over like multiple days. It's called Susie Q is what it's called. And it's uh, it's like an Amazon prime thing. And, and the thing about it was I just didn't understand her, who she was, her place and her influence or any of that really. Yeah. Um, like I just sort of had Joan Jett all in that place. And right. Susie Quattro was not right. in that place. And honestly, like, when, when I when I came across her mention here, my mind went to Susie Sue. Yeah, right. Because I know who that is. Right, right. right. And, and, and Susie Quattro just doesn't get, she doesn't get the spotlight, but she was a huge influence. And I mean, here's a direct line. She directly influences one of the Go-Go's to get into the business. Kathy gets a guitar, starts a band, and very early on, she pa- she cross- crosses paths with Kelly Johnson, who you know, I'm sure, from a metal band called Girl School. Oh, yeah, I do. And, and then in Austin, she starts a band called The Violators. Uh, but in 78, she moves to L.A. and she starts this band called The Textones. And she has a little bit of success with The Textones. They record a few songs. They work out early versions of songs that later become go-go classics. And... While she's clawing her way around the L.A. music scene, there's this other act that everyone's starting to notice. And that act, of course, is this act that was started by Jane Weedland and Belinda Carlisle called the Go-Go's. freaking love talking about the Go-Go's because people forget the roots from which the Go-Go's came from. You hear yeah. the hits that have endured, right? And they're bubblegum and it's, you know, there's a whole lot of homage to 50s girl group. But the Go-Go's come from punk. And I yeah. mean, capital P, punk. Yeah. 
Did you have that double record that had the hits and then outtakes and early tracks on it a long time ago? No, but I okay. want it. I, I, I've gotten a little obsessed in, in research here because it, Belinda Carlisle was in The Germs. Yes, she was. Like, she's never officially... Like she never officially gigs with them, but she is part of the band in the beginning. She was in the germs. Let me repeat that. Quick primer. If you just don't know anything about punk rock, let me get you here as quickly as possible. Also in the germs, Pat Smear. And Pat Smear is still a working musician in a little band called the Foo Fighters. Uh, Before that, he was in a little band called Nirvana. And the germs had this lead singer named Darby Crash. And and Darby Crash became, like he basically comes to epitomize some of the trappings of punk rock. So I just emphasize and bring all this up to say capital P punk scene is where we get Belinda and Jane from. And if you want to get a really good look at this, we're not going to really get into this part of the story, but if you want to John Doe from the band X compiled an oral history a few years back called under the big black sun. Jane, Jane Wheatland's a main character in that oral history um and and like i said it's belinda and jane who birthed this band can i do a really quick side note about darby crash and the germs oh please yeah this will be fun for the audience too because people don't really know who they are first of all pat smear look them up like look up the germs look up Darby, like germs darby crash live performance you can find stuff and here's here's a really interesting thing i didn't know do you do you know who the actor shane west is no. Okay. So you would recognize him to see him most likely. And you would probably describe him as, oh, that heartthrobby guy, right? So he was in ER for a while in the early 2000s, but he was also in this movie, probably what I know him best from when I like look at his filmography. I'm like, why do I know who this guy is? I know him from just the movie poster because I've never seen it, but he was in that movie, A Walk to Remember, that was based on the Nicholas Sparks novel with Mandy Moore. Huh. He was the male lead. So that's in like 2001 ish 2000 2001 in 2007 he plays darby crash in a movie about the germs he gets prosthetic teeth i didn't so he can look like darby crash and you can find the full movie on youtube i'll put it in the show notes you can find it on YouTube, and I started watching it because I was like, what? What universe? Am I living in the multiverse? Like, what universe did Shane West play Darby Crash in a movie about the germs? It exists, and here's the crazy thing. After that movie, the germs reformed with Shane West as their lead singer. <laughs> oh, that's totally weird. That's insane, dude. So you can look it up. Shane West, The Germs. Be, it's totally bizarre. But even five minutes of that movie will give you a taste of The Germs. And that is the scene that Belinda and Jane come out of playing the Whiskey A Go-Go with X wow. and Fear. And you know who else they played with all the time? Who? The Plugs. Remember those guys from episode 69? Yeah. Bob Dylan versus Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah. Watched a bunch. Uh, do you do you want to hear a Go Go's punk song? Uh, I always want to hear the Go Go's at any point. The thing that always stuck with me, this song. Who is this band? It's Bikini Kill. 
like, like they get no credit for this, right? Like nobody knows this part of. And this is That's like funny. the Goo Goo Dolls, right? The Goo Goo Dolls were a punk band that don't get credit for being a punk band. They get credit for singing "Black Balloon" and "Iris" off the "City of Angels" soundtrack, right? But this is this is crazy. I'm gonna turn it back up. Yeah. What's the vocal? That, uh, listen, I will throw this in the show notes. You can go check this out and go down a hole. I will tell you there are there are titles on this record that I would not say out loud <laughs> right now in 2022 that were fine in the right, early 80s. Right. Um, wow. And right. So yeah. They, they're playing with bands like The Plugs. And go back and, and hear the whole story of Char- Charlie Quintana and The Plugs in that episode about Bob Dylan. He plays a huge role in that. And then there is also a bit part he plays in this story. When Kathy Valentine gets to L.A., she starts palling around L.A. with Charlie Quintana from The Plugs. And he says, hey, I got these friends who have this band. We should go watch them play. Kathy says, when they go to this show, she is fairly unimpressed with this band on stage. And it is an early version of the Go-Go's. Now, a couple of lineup changes happen fairly quickly. Charlotte, Kathy, and Gina Shock join, but they have this bass player named Margot Olivaria. And a year after Kathy sees them play while she's hanging out with Charlie Quintana, they're continuing to climb in local esteem. And it's December 1980, and they are supposed to ring in the new year at the Whiskey. But there's this issue with Margot, the bass player. The official story is she was battling some sort of illness, but later there's lawsuits that say that that was all more calculated in that partly due to Margot's irritation that the Go-Go's were getting less and less punk, as we just heard, you know, thinking where they're headed. Uh, the the band is sort of looking Can for a way to get rid of her. Uh, so yeah. Christmas night, 1980, Kathy goes to the whiskey and she's got to go to the bathroom. She walks in the bathroom and in the bathroom, she meets face-to-face Charlotte Kathy. And I think the Go-Go's were sort of aware of Kathy because the Techstones were gigging around some of the same places in town. But in case you missed it, Kathy, a guitar player, not a bass player, she ends up cramming and learning the songs, practices with the band only two times, and is then on stage at the Whiskey, New Year's Eve, 1980, and the iconic Go-Go's lineup is born. Yeah, six days later. Wow. Well, and not just any six days, right? The the six days between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> I mean, like that, that's that's yeah. a real accelerated timeline. Now, the four years yeah. that come after this are insanity for the Go Go's. It's a rapid rise to the top. Even now, the Go Go's are considered the most successful all girl rock band of all time. And I think it's pretty important to note that it's not just all females performing. It's all females playing their own instruments and writing their own songs. So, I mean, we saw girl groups. Yes. Right? But they were being puppeted by dudes. None of that here. This was all chicks doing everything. The debut record basically defines new wave music in the 80s and bears the distinction of being on the top of the charts for six weeks and yielding two of the three biggest go-go hits. That first record has Our Lips Are Sealed and We Got the Beat on it. Two million copies, considered at the time to be one of the most successful debut records ever. And the girls get nominated for two 
Grammy Awards. It's crazy. That all happens in the... one of them Best New Artist? <laughs> no, they, they don't win. Yes, one of them is Best New Artist, but they don't win. This is the year they that... They don't win it. No, they don't win it. This is that crazy year right. where this might be the year with Wild Honey or whatever that band was that we've talked about before. Yeah, it's like who... What's like who whose career was destroyed by this award, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not the Go Go's, obviously. The Go Go's are able to maintain yeah. for a little bit. They put out a second record in '82, a third in '84. They have a few more top forty hits, but they basically spend all of the time at their height, wearing themselves out with constant touring and recording. And by the time they're touring Talk Show, which is that third record, the venues are getting a little smaller. And then Jane announces she's leaving the band. There's been like this, there's a story where there's like this mounting mounting tension around Jane being allowed to sing on a certain track and stuff. And so she eventually sort of takes off. That's the beginning of the end. They move Kathy to guitar at this point, because remember, that's her first instrument, and they find a new bass player. But Kathy does her best to ignore the frailty that's happening around her. Um, And it's sort of an act of faith in this period like early 85, she buys a house on Sunset Plaza in LA. This is important. She buys a house. Now, Mm. behind the scenes, another big crack in the band. Charlotte has to go to rehab for heroin. Yeah, those guys, those ladies did heroin. They partied a lot of, a lot of cocaine. They partied hard, mostly Coke and Coke and, and drink. But Charlotte was doing heroin. Yeah. And if you, if you see the photos in that Return to the Valley of the Dolls um, thing, because you pro- most people have that, our lips are sealed, head over heels, we've got the beat, and that's what you think about them. And right, in that right. compilation, that, we, that, that song that's going to be in the show notes you can listen to, there was a little booklet, you know, when we actually had CDs and we purchased things. And in that booklet, there were photos in there, and those photos definitely illustrated those times not that anyone's doing drugs but you can just kind of tell like that is not the pretty little happy like people that are on mtv happy dancing and clapping their hands like these are people on tour backstage and they're partying and it's like you got to see and they were at that time when that compilation came out they were starting to be kind of upfront about you know this is the trappings of what happened to this band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How weird is all this? So <laughs> that they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> one of the core sources for this episode is Kathy Valentine's book, which, spoiler alert, we'll get to, but she does eventually move off of Twitter and into a book that just came out in 2020, and it's called All I Ever Wanted. And she's very upfront about everything you just said, right? And there are a lot of crazy stories about the excesses of this band. In fact, when they bring in that new bass player, she does tell a story that the new bass player basically one one night they finish up and she looks at all of the original Go Go's. Charlotte leaves the room and she's like, "Guys, what are you? Do- what are we going to do about Charlotte?" And they're all like, "What? What are you talking about?" And she's like, "She's clearly addicted to heroin." And they're like, "No, she's not." Like they're just that clueless, right? Because oh, of the wow. life the life they're all sort of living together, right? And, and enabling. There's also this crazy story about them going to Rock and Rio, and it's all during this time period in this, as the band starts to make its descent in 85, they do Rock and Rio, which she explains in the book is in Brazil and is like a really long period of time, like at least a week, maybe two weeks. And they bring all these acts into Brazil, and since they have them there, they have them play multiple times. So you play like one time at the beginning, one time at the end. And while they're there, they meet Rod Stewart. 
and they go on a bender with Rod Stewart, and then Rod Stewart realizes he still has a set to play at the festival, and so he's been up for two days, and he has to go play, and they tell him that as moral support, they'll go stand on the edge of the stage while he plays his set. And so she says, like, That's here we cool. are. We've been up for two and a half days to his two, and we're just, like, cheering him on on the side of this this massive stage in, in Rio. And they bring them all in on helicopter, helicopters because that festival's so big. So they go from the hotel mm-hmm. to the stage in helicopters to then just run. And she's like, it's, you know, she's trying to explain that as the band is sort of starting to, like, all these cracks are starting to happen in the group, they're still doing things like this, and so it's very disorienting. Because it's hard to think yeah. your band's in trouble when you're getting brought in to Rock and Rio with a helicopter and partying for two days with Rod Stewart. I was going to say, Brian, if you've never seen the Rock and Rio stuff, like any of that, and everybody that's listening, if you just YouTube wormhole freak show and don't want to come out of that, there are so many great Rock and Rio shows on YouTube. And you can see the awful Nirvana gig with Kurt Cobain on heroin. But you can also see the fact that like the crowds are amazing and they know the words and they sing and they jump and they're amazingly into it and they're you know so wonderful crowds. I have I remember in early days of our other podcast back in 2011 2012 I interviewed Ryan Key who was in a band called Yellow Card that some people may know who had a moment in the sun they were they were big for a while and at the time they were still doing all right but this was a little bit past their heyday and he explained to me that they would go to Brazil every year. And he was like, dude, you don't understand how big our crowds are in Brazil. (laughs) And I was like, really? And I've actually heard that from multiple musicians that you go to Brazil if you can, because if you have grown there at all, it is, you know, they're hungry for it and it's an amazing experience. So yeah, I mean, just reading about what that music festival is like, the size of it, is uh, is pretty staggering. I can't imagine. So yeah, I'm going to be checking out those videos later. So they get back from Rock and Rio. In May of 85, out of the blue, GoGo's management calls Kathy and Gina, okay? Gina's a drummer. And tells them to come to a meeting. And they, Gina comes and picks okay. up Kathy at her house that she has bought. And they're freaking out on the way. They walk into the meeting and Charlotte, who's just gotten back from rehab, and Belinda are there with some of their management. And they just look at them. They're like, cool, we're breaking up the band. Wow. Kathy's especially devastated. And it's like I just described. They just came off this high. And she's really been sort of putting the blinders up, right? And she doesn't have another plan. So Belinda, obviously, we know what happens with her. If you want to know what Belinda Carlisle did with her solo career, Alvin and the Chipmunks put out a record and they had like new wave and pop classics on it, and they did a cover of Heaven is the Place on Earth. I mean, I know this because it's so weird, Brian. Why did I listen? <laughs> but I, I was also listening to it. It also was up, it was also uploaded on YouTube at half speed. So it was an LP, and then they played it at half speed. So you could kind of actually hear what the people sounded like going, Ooh, baby, do you know what? And it's like, guys. <laughs> And it's like slow. It's so weird. Like it's freakishly weird. And that's what I listened to. And I was explaining it to my family who thought I was weird. I was talking about Alvin Chipmunks doing a Belinda Carlisle cover song. And here we are, Brian. How does this happen? It's just freakishly weird. She was very, very big. And Jane goes on to do a lot of stuff. She's sort of an alt-rock queen, right? She goes on to do stuff with Sparks. Um, She does stuff 
on her own. She, does, you know, I mean, she she is fine, right? I think she does some VH1 reality shows, right? Later, um, but yeah, she was yeah she was on yeah she did reality VH1 stuff. You're right. But Kathy doesn't have another plan. Kathy's only plan is the Go Go's. Kathy, when she joins, is 21. There is a great 81 uh, live performance that is in the show notes. It was put out on VHS, I believe. And you get to see them in 81. And you get to see a 21-year-old Kathy Valentine playing these bass lines. And I will have to I have to say, man, for having not been in the band very long, like I think of those songs and I don't think like, um, you know, it's not complicated to go from guitar to bass. But she actually does have to carry a lot of that early go-go stuff because it's built on that old school 50s rock thing where it was all sort of doom, 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 doom. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than like a U2 song. Yeah, and think about We've Got the Beats drums. Hear that in your head? Yeah. We've Got the Beats. Head over the heels. Head over heels. Hear those drums. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Vacation. Like, those songs are percussive. Yeah. And there's keys. Yep. And they're like, to me, it's that's why I was kind of joking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing where you have people that don't really fit your whole meat and potatoes like thing. But yeah, so I'm, I want to go watch, I'm going to watch that video when we put up the episodes. I want to see that too because. So when they open the, the first song, they come out, they're like playing at college, I think. And the, they come out on stage and they open with Skid Marks on My Heart, which is at the end, like towards the end of that first record. And it's all, talk about drums, it's all, all Gina on the drums. Um, and they're, you, like, you read the comments and everyone's like, dude, that chick is probably the best person in the band. <laughs> like, she's really good. And she's playing at sort of a different level than the rest of them. But it is, I, I highly recommend the video because it gives you some perspective on like what this looked like in 81 and how it, it is even now sort of shocking to be like, oh, that's five women. Like, there's not a dude on site. There's like nothing. It's, they've got it all under control. Remember, an easy way to support the show is to head over to Patreon. Patreon.com allows creators like us to take financial thank yous from you. Uh, and we'll, don't worry, we'll give you stuff in return. How about uh, scripts from the show or maybe you want some special bonus episodes? Uh, you can get all that stuff when you check out Patreon.com slash Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. And go ahead and leave us a review too. That'd be huge. That doesn't cost you anything except, you know, like a little bit of time and you're going to have to use the exclamation point a lot in the review because you're so excited. Okay, that's it. So, your finger may get a little sore, but other than that, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, review the show at iTunes or anywhere else that you are able to download it and let other people know how much you enjoy digging into Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories with us. We're proud to have you. So lucky that we get to do this every week, and we appreciate your love in return. Kathy's made this Go-Go's thing her whole plan. This is a quote from her. The Go-Go's had been the vehicle to all my dreams and taken me on the journey to my wildest hopes. When the tires fell off and the transmission broke and the motor fell out, I was the stubborn mule trying to push the broken down wreck of a band further along the road. It all meant so much to me. More than a band or a career, my self-esteem, my identity, my family, my purpose were all encased in Go-Go's wrapping tied up in band life. The pain felt greater than any loss I had endured. You know Kathy dated through a large section of this time? Uh, Rick Springfield? No, that's a good guess, though. Clem Burke, the drummer from Blondie. Oh, Clint, yeah. Yeah, you know, he goes, I know you don't know him from Blondie. You know him from what he does after Blondie, don't you? 
he plays drums for the Ramones. Yeah, but yeah. I did see, <laughs> I I did I did see Blondie with Clem playing, uh, which was weird. Um, and I've seen an interview with Blondie and him, with Debbie Harry and him, and it's just so weird. Like that whole, I I don't think that people like a lot of casual fans don't know. Like they hear Heart of Glass, they have no idea that Blondie and Ram- and the Ramones are in the same music scene. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, it's sort Different of bands. like it's sort of like what we're talking about with the Go Go's, right? Like I think certain things have right. moved into the rest of pop culture and left the actual roots behind, and so people just you know if you only know the the stuff that you hear on elevators and in grocery stores and on the radio back in the day like that's just what you know but clem can relate to what's happening with kathy because he had something very similar happen right a drug problem that eventually broke up the band he'd done this whole thing in 82 so he takes her to greece on a vacation and they have a good time but eventually she has to come back to la because she has a home there. She bought a house at the beginning of 85. She's only owned it for like six months. She needs a distraction. Clem's got to go back to New York. I think he's touring or playing with someone at this point. It may actually be the Ramones. So he takes off. She's in LA by herself and she calls a friend. And the friend she calls is Carlene Carter. This is weird. That's June Carter Cash's daughter. Johnny's stepdaughter. And she yeah. she's a recording artist in her own right, beginning in the 70s. Yeah. And at this point in the 80s, she's been in a relationship with one of my all-time favorite songwriters, Nick Lowe. Should I use this as an excuse yeah. to show you my picture of me and Nick Lowe? Yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> Hold on. No. It's behind me. Oh, my gosh, it's happening. I wasn't prepared. Oh, that's a great picture. Look at him. I used to have yeah, this in my a- I had this in my office, and people would go, oh, is that your grandpa? And I was like, I freaking wish my grandpa was that cool. <laughs> My grandpa just watched Gunsmoke all the time, man. My, my grandpa didn't look like that. No, my my grandpa was racist old nasty man who watched uh, freaking Gunsmoke. That's what he did too, man. Gunsmoke. I'll have to I'll have to I mean, find was, a way to a little kid. I'll have to that. put this picture on the website so people can see it cuz it's pretty amazing. Um so anyway, she's with Nick Lowe, but when she comes to LA to hang out with Kathy, she's actually a little she's a little upset because things are not going good with Nick so um, they get together to sort of ease each other's wounds and then they call another friend actually Kathy calls another friend because she is trying to she's sort of trying to play matchmaker and she calls a guy named Charlie Sexton now that name might be vaguely familiar to you depending especially on what part of the country you're from because this is another behind the scenes guy who's sort of a texas guy texas music right because remember this is where kathy comes from and we've never really discussed texas music on this show i don't know when that will happen but it is its own thing and there are people who are superstars in texas who no one outside of that state or maybe outside of that state in oklahoma and arkansas know anything about but Charlie Sexton, he also has a brother who's sort of a big deal too. It's a whole thing. But this is early, early, early in his career. Later, he will do a bunch of session work for, for people. He'll be in Bob Dylan's band. He'll be in Elvis Costello's band. Um, when he was a teenager, he was playing on Ronnie Wood records and Keith Richards records and Don Henley records and Jimmy Barnes records, right? But Gosh, at the time Jimmy of... Barnes, man... Jimmy Barnes, 
I didn't know that another human knew who the hell that was, Brian. <laughs> the first real rock concert I saw, he opened. And I had no idea who the hell he was, but never forgot it. At the time Weird. of this story, Charlie Sexton was actually not far from having a hit of his own. He has this hit called Beat So Lonely, and it gets big because of the Some Kind of Wonderful soundtrack, even though it's not technically on the soundtrack. It's one of those weird 80s artifacts. It's in the movie, heavily, not on the soundtrack. Now, he was around recording, I believe, and so Kathy invites him over, and this is all at the house that she bought at the beginning of the year, right before her band breaks up. And Charlie and Carlene hit it off. Now, I want to acknowledge something that I guess technically I don't have to acknowledge because nobody's going to Google when Charlie Sexton was born. But if this was the other way around, it would be weird and we would talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, When I started doing the background on this cast of characters, it's important to note that there is a giant age gap here. Carlene and Charlie and Kathy, really. Um, But specifically because things are heating up between Charlie Charlie and Carlene. Carlene is 30 at the time of this story. Kathy is 26. And Charlie, unless my math is terribly wrong and the internet is wrong, Charlie just had his 17th birthday. Was he born in 68, 69? He was born in 68. So I'm just putting that out there. They all get together on this summer night, and they stay up all night doing drugs and playing music. And then one morning, Carlene and Charlie are sleeping late. It's hot and dry, and in this house, Kathy has these French doors that open from the bedroom to outside. And they've left them open to get the breeze in. Kathy's in the other room, and she's been sleeping, wrapped up in sheets, slowly starting to wake up because she hears voices. All of a sudden, Kathy's bedroom door opens, and a large man walks in, holding Carlene in front of him. And she's like, hey, Kathy, don't worry. Don't worry. It's just the gardener. It's just the gardener. And Kathy's like, I don't have a gardener. But she realizes man, she does have a garden shed. And the guy is holding a trowel from her garden shed up against Carlene's neck. The guy makes Kathy get out of bed. This ever happened. Marches all of them back into the other bedroom. And Charlie's already there face down on the bed. He's made him stay. And the stranger starts talking. I have people outside. We have guns. We're going to burn this house down. And she said he's like weirdly robotic. He makes them all lay down on the bed, covers them with a sheet, and then tucks it in. So they're all flat. And then he starts taking pillows and clothes and anything else he can find laying around, and he just stacks it on top of them, saying he needs to camouflage them. This is awful. Yeah, no, this is real tough. Like, I I should have, like, given a trigger warning, right? Like, we we went from, like, oh, the go-go's are punk to, like, this. So just hold hold on or fast forward a little. Now, while all this is happening, Kathy is of sound enough mind to start piecing together that things don't add up. If he has a gun, why has he got a garden trail? Right? That doesn't make any sense. And she doesn't think, she just has this hunch, I don't think he has people with him. I think this is all him talking a big game. So as he starts moving around the house, Kathy is whispering to Carlene and Charlie because he's throwing stuff on them, leaving, coming, finding other stuff in this small house and bringing it back and throwing it back on them, right? So there's this like gap of time. And she's like, guys, we got to run. We got to go. We can take this guy. And they're like, nope, not doing it. Uh Uh-uh. Like they're just terrified, right? 
Dude keeps coming back, keeps piling crap on him. Kathy's like, this dude is prepping us to kill us. He is going to cover us so he doesn't have to look at us, and then he's going to shoot or stab us. And they're like, listen, Kathy, we get it, but we ain't moving because this is, we're terrified. And we're, just, you know, I mean, they're just like, you know, it's just not even probably registering, right? Just total panic mode. So yeah. her tactic becomes to start to shake things off her face and try to talk to him because he, she's figuring out like he's trying to dehumanize us, right? So I'm going to remind him mm-hmm. that we're, we're people. So she starts talking, oh, we're having, you know, you better be careful because we got people coming over for a barbecue. And, you know, hey, you can take whatever you want, right? Just don't take my strat. <laughs> she says she actually tells him that. Don't take my Stratocaster. And this just this just makes the guy mad. So he's like, where's the money? Where's the drugs? You know, and Kathy says, we did them all, dude. You were too late. <laughs> it was great. Um, <laughs> Money's in the bank. Next time he leaves the room, Kathy's had enough. She jumps out of bed, pushes all the crap off of her, and sure enough, she looks. And at the edge of the bed behind them, so they're laying down on the bed, the edge of the bed, he has got a butcher knife at the feet of each of them that he's taken from her kitchen. She grabs one. Guy walks back in the room and she lunges at him. Dude just grabs her hand, twists it around her back, makes her drop the knife and pushes her back on the bed, shoves her face in. And he's like, of course, now you're going to pay for that, right? So then he gets out rope or something and he ties them all up. Now, Kathy claims that at some point she'd read, (laughs) this this cracks me up, she says, I, I, this must have come from a Rob, Robert Ludlum novel. I don't know. Um, but she has this idea that if she can keep her wrists a little bit apart, she'll be able to like shake herself out. So she does it. She tries it. It works. Her, her wrists are loose enough. And she's just convinced at this point that this guy, despite his claims, does not have backup. So he walks in and is like, wow, I hate to be the one to waste Kathy Valentine. And she realizes all of a sudden that he's found her gold records because he clearly didn't know who she was at at first. And now he's like saying her name, but he doesn't really know. It's like weirdly unfamiliar. And so he starts inferring that he might take her hostage. So she starts encouraging him to leave again before people show up. And she says, oh, you know, you could take my car. My keys are in my purse. She's like, giving him all these ideas because she thinks he's unstable and doesn't have backup. He walks out of the room again. And this time she's been shaking her hands. She gets him loose. She runs through the French doors and out of the house. And she knows the other two aren't going to follow her. So she's like, if I can get out of here, I can go get help. Because if I try to untie the other two, they're going to hold me up. He's going to come back. It's going to make him even more mad. She runs down the hill and up another hill, barefoot, because she's been asleep, to her neighbor's house. He calls the cops, and then this badass goes back with her. And when they get back there, Carlene and Charlie are in the bed, and the guy's gone. He's trashed everything. He's cut cords. He's scattered stuff all over. He took Carlene's jewelry, and he did, in fact, take Kathy's car. <laughs> but, you know, I mean... Just, yeah, I took the car. She said he could. She offered... <laughs> So she looks at the clock and realizes this has gone on for three hours. Gosh. You, you know, this would not happen today if someone 
post pandemic, like came into a house and a couple people kind of figured out that they were kind of fooling. Like they would take the butcher knife and they would murder that guy because people have just had enough. Like they wouldn't be there. People have had enough bullshit to, have to deal with. Like some asshole coming in your house, trying to like kidnap you. It's like, really? You want to come uh, in my house and kidnap me? Yeah, you dumbass. Yeah. First of all, man, you're not yeah, even I'm wearing here. a mask. Like it's the pandemic. Do you know how many, like how much cutlery I bought during the pandemic? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just made all that up. Cops show up and are like, we got the beat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> They did. They did not say that. Uh, they, <laughs> Our lips are sealed. Stop I'm head it. over heels. Stop it. They tell her that I'm most, trying to bring some levity. To this incredibly frightening story <laughs> is really scary, man. <laughs> they tell yeah. her that most of the time this situation ends up as murder because the robber gets in and suddenly feels over his head. And so, as you can imagine. Kathy never stays in that house again. She's barely owned it for six months. Kathy, yeah, leaves. Carlene, and Charlie get the locks changed, and then they go to the Sunset Marquee Hotel, and as Kathy puts it, they wallow together in their PTSD. She goes back the next day with a friend, and her car keys are on the ground, which means he had come back. They find the car abandoned in the Hollywood Hills later, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with the car either. She gives them both up. Ends up camping out in the hotel with Carlene and Charlie for two weeks, eating room service and doing a lot of drugs. (laughs) And finally ends up finding an apartment to sublet. And the guy who perpetrated all this, the intruder, never found. What? Never found. Oh my gosh, this really is some true crime stuff, Brian. What? So if you have tips. You never found the go-go <laughs> we, kidnapper? <laughs> we, we are the story, guys, at gmail.com because we are taking a hard ride. This is going to become a true crime podcast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, terrifying story, right? Like, oh my God. Yeah, and if anybody's got any tips, like, let us know <laughs> so we can all go out and like stab this prick for almost getting rid of the go-go's. A national treasure. Uh, here's something that'll put a smile on your face if if it's even possible at this point in the story. Guess who picks up the enormous hotel tab that the two that the those three people end up racking up over two weeks at the marquee? Johnny Cash. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that awesome? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? It's Johnny oh Cash. Gosh, what a great. Oh my gosh. I've got a great Johnny Cash story. I'll make it fast. His birthday was like last week or the week before, uh-huh. and Roseanne posted this tweet and said she was at the house it's when he was still alive is his birthday and these flowers get delivered and he gets it and gets the card and rolls his eyes and she's like well who are those from dad and he goes liz taylor she sends me flowers every year because her birthday is the day after mine and she sends it because i'm older than her wow <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> imagine getting flowers from liz taylor every year <laughs> just as a prank <laughs> fantastic (laughs) so i made a quick reference up top to how this story became public but let's revisit that for a moment kathy finally did as i said publish this memoir in 2020 but she actually started publishing it on twitter nearly a decade before that after belinda's book she starts putting it out in 140 character bites at a time this story is i think about 39 tweets that she puts out at random at one point it drew a lot of attention because she has lots of stories to tell like this that are pretty rough about sex abuse and abortion and a complicated relationship with her mother. But it was really groundbreaking to sort of see it parsed out in these 140 character bites and then, you know, done in series. And 
I do recommend the book. You can tell she's had lots of therapy and lots of perspective. And her motivation, she says at the very beginning, is to put it all out there for her daughter, who I believe is right around 20 at this point. And it's interesting because in the book, she straight up points out that she got really frustrated watching the Bengals come behind her and basically sort of finish the Go-Go's lunch. Which I never thought about that, but I went back and looked, and she's right. If you look at those timelines, while they definitely overlap, the ascension of the Bengals happens right after the decline of the Go-Go's. They literally replace them in the culture. So the Go-Go's end in 85, and Walk Like an Egyptian happens in 86. If you want to get involved in the show, it's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to send us any inquiries. Uh, Murdoch, what should people keep doing until next time? Keep walking like an Egyptian and telling stories, people. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.